Our first reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. The Beatitudes. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people like a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Thank God for those words from Jesus. The second reading is from James, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As I said earlier, we are looking today at the full chapter 2 of James. Who is James? Last week we discovered that we know really very little about James, except he was the half-brother of Jesus. We know that Jesus had several half-brothers and sisters, so he may have been acquainted with Jesus from infancy. His was a late conversion to Christianity after the resurrection, when in Corinthians we are told, then he appeared to James and afterwards to the apostles. This meeting with Jesus after the resurrection, before he met with the apostles, was thought to have given James a certain standing and an autoritas, which eventually led to him becoming head of the church in Jerusalem, where his preaching was much respected. He was also known to have travelled and travelled visiting Jewish colonies in different countries. For example, he also preached to the slaves in Spain. And the letter itself was written somewhere between 45 and 54 AD. But why was it written? James was writing to the communities of believers who lived in the further parts of the Roman Empire. The letter was written to reassure these groups that they were not forgotten, that they were all part of Christ's church, and also to remind them of Christ's teachings and encourage them to follow in the faith. A significant part of the early church was the promulgating of Christ's teaching and encouraging the followers to obey their commandments. And in that, nothing changes. But one can imagine the feelings of those who felt that they were away, far away in exile, cut off from the mother church in Jerusalem and in danger of being forgotten. So James refers to them as friends. 
And indeed, he might well have known many of them personally. James had walked with Christ and listened to his preaching and had been influenced by the ways of his teaching. We can only assume that he had a basic education, but his letter shows that he had acquired many of the skills of communication from Christ's example. He'd learned some of the necessary points required by any good teacher, repeat the main point several times in different ways, and use memorable illustrations to reinforce these points, illustrations which the hearers would recognize. And in his letter, we can see that this direct and concise approach was his way of teaching and speaking to these people far from Jerusalem. His writing is full of metaphors and illustrations which assume a good knowledge of the Bible by his readers. The chapter itself is divided into three parts. Obviously three parts of the well-known Presbyterian following. Everything is divided into three. The first section, honoring the poor. And it shows James reproving what he saw to be corrupt practices. James was justified in his concern about favoritism. It was in society all around him. He was writing in an age when there was wide hate and prejudice based in class, ethnicity, nationality, and analogous groups. People were automatically categorized, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, Greek or barbarian. Today, we have our other own ways of categorizing people. He suggests in his example of greeting a rich man, identified by his gold ring and fine clothes, and paying special attention to him, as opposed to peremptorily telling the poor man to stand or sit to hand. And he says that by such discrimination, we're automatically making a judgment that is wrong. Because judgment is being made on outward appearances only, which in itself is to misunderstand how God might judge and might indicate a selfish streak because we believe that the rich can do more for us and we'd be more likely to return a favor. Of the many biblical cross-references James reminds us in the teaching of the Beatitudes, that the poor shall inherit the earth. But he suggests that in this discrimination between the poor and the rich, we're insulting the poor, but we're also insulting the poor and therefore insulting God. He was in effect protesting against the habit of the synagogues of seating worshippers by their rank which is abhorrent to James. Although I do have a feeling that one might not be helping or or, um, indicating to any poor to sit them among the rich is not necessarily a good idea because you're making them more uncomfortable. And therefore, I think there is a a way of approaching, or or rather it it, it emphasizes that quite clear 
division between rich and poor and how you deal with them um, is not quite as straightforward as James suggests. He deals in black and whites, and while this is understandable in the context of his letter, considering what's been said in our own times, we do well to look at it with care. Riches do not just apply to money. Perhaps we should widen our definition and ideas of poverty. Are we in danger of creating a new poverty? A poverty in basic learning and understanding, literacy and numeracy. Perhaps we should consider James' comments with reference to redefining rich and poor. If we don't ensure that all have access to these basics, are we not adding to the poverty within our society? In the next section, James goes on to remind us of God's law and that in dishonouring the poor, which he regards as a sin, this could be avoided. And he quotes what he calls the royal law. Love your neighbour as yourself. Here too, James is an absolutist and points out that failure to obey one part of God's law is to fail the whole. And favouritism in his eyes is a breach of this injunction to love our neighbours as ourselves. So we're reminded it's a very hard road that we have all agreed to follow. Judgment without mercy, even to one who has shown no mercy, represents failure. James is telling his readers just what a high standard is to be met in following God's commandments. He ends this section with the ringing reminder that in the end, mercy triumphs over judgment. In the final section, James enters into an argument that was in the early church. Paul was saying one thing, and here's James saying another. Paul preached that the forgiveness of sins is not a reward for work done, but a gift from God. But James is arguing here that faith must be supported by action, that faith without action is no use. Those relying solely on professional faith alone with no supporting action, are not following Christ's teachings. But for James, faith is inclusive of actions, and he does give examples to illustrate this. Examples from the Old Testament that perhaps we wouldn't recognize readily, but which we can understand his argument. If you have faith, but no action, then faith without deeds is dead. And it would be too easy to get pulled into this argument. But as we've heard in the recent bombings in London and Manchester, for example, there are occasions when circumstances call for immediate action without judgment, automatic reflex. The prayer comes afterwards. James's underlying message arises in concern for the young church in the gospel it proclaimed and to hold discipline among its members and the activities 
within the church community. He goes back to basics, and he reminds us that we have all to live by the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that in doing this, he brings to mind many of the yardsticks which we are applied and asked to apply to our actions in life. And in the end, by their fruits, ye shall know them. It seems to me that James, in his turn, in his letter, is for himself turning the Great Commission into action through faith. Go you therefore and teach all nations. But his message, his basic message in this chapter, is no less relevant for the church communities today. But I'm not sure what my reaction would be to receiving a letter in quite the terms that James expresses them. And that perhaps the following warning says more for us simply today of what lies behind is what James is trying to convey in his letter. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. Watch your character. It becomes your destiny.